Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions, giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. On this episode, we'll be hearing from guests who are leaders in three different Christian traditions, sharing their experiences observing Advent. These guests include Reverend Ellen Williams-Hensel, Associate Pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas, Sister Jocelyn Edithil, a member of the Sisters of the Imitation of Christ Order in Philadelphia, and Sarah Cowan-Johnson, the Executive Pastor of Sanctuary Church in Providence, Rhode Island. This year, Advent is observed beginning December 2nd until Christmas Eve, December 24th. We hope you'll find something that resonates with you in these conversations as we enter into this season of waiting together. This is Caroline Trissick, and our first guest is Reverend Ellen Williams-Hensel, Associate Pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas. Thanks for being with us, Reverend Hensel. Would you begin by sharing a bit about your educational background and how you ended up in your current vocation? Yeah, so I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and I studied English literature. When I was thinking about going to college, I was really undecided about what I wanted to do with my life. And my parents suggested that maybe I should become a pastor. And I remember thinking I could never do that. And I watched the pastor at our church at home preach every Sunday for like six months after that and thought, yeah, there's no way that I could ever do that. (laughs) And then I went to college and I got involved in InterVarsity kind of by accident. Um, I got invited to a Bible study and I loved it. And I never looked back from that. I got really involved. Uh, I hosted Bible study in my room. I got involved with planning large group and leading worship. And that kind of helped me see that I did have gifts for ministry and I really enjoyed doing ministry. And so I worked for InterVarsity for a couple of years after I graduated from Penn at Penn and decided after a few years that if I was going to keep doing this, I really needed to go to seminary and get some more training. So I went to Princeton Theological Seminary and uh, it's a Presbyterian seminary. I grew up in the Presbyterian church and through the process of going to seminary, I discerned that God was calling me to ordained ministry. So I went through the whole process in the Presbyterian church, which takes about three years. So the whole time I was in seminary, I was in process with them and afterwards took all my exams and everything. And I'm from the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area uh, originally, but I now I'm in Austin, which is kind of a funny thing. Um, God just, I, I never imagined I would end up here, but uh, here I am. That's fantastic. So how is it being in Texas this time of year? It is warm, which kind of freaks me out. It was 80 degrees yesterday. <laughs> So when you're getting ready for the holidays, you know, for Thanksgiving and Christmas and everything at home, it would really be getting a lot cooler and the leaves would be changing. And here, I guess it's getting slightly cooler, but it really doesn't feel all that different. So I'm I'm definitely adjusting to warm holiday, the warm holiday season. Great. Well, you already kind of shared a little bit about your the tradition that you come from. And is there anything else you would like to share about your spiritual background? Like I said, I well, I was 
baptized in the Lutheran church, actually. Uh, okay. And then my parents, we, we became Presbyterians, not for any theological reasons, but because there was a Presbyterian church near our house that we really liked. Uh, we moved and it just made sense for us to do that. Um, and, but now I feel really Presbyterian having spent three years at Presbyterian seminary, but I, I also was shaped by that time in, at Penn as being, you know, in university, it was really an ecumenical community, uh, and a diverse community. Um, and that shaped and influenced my spiritual life, um, learning to ask good questions and learn from people who are different from me, um, and letting that influence my spirituality. Um, and so I think that's something that, you know, we're trying to do in the Presbyterian church as well. I was, as I was thinking about Advent, I was, one of the things that's important to me is the O-antiphons. Um, those have really shaped my theology of Advent in the last few years, but those aren't Presbyterian. Those are Catholic. And so, um, the fact that we're trying to incorporate them into our Presbyterian tradition is a sign that, you know, kind of the ecumenical movement of the 20th century after Vatican II, we're trying to incorporate different things from different traditions because there's so much good stuff in other traditions that we want to bring into our tradition to make our own tradition richer and fuller. We understand more of who God is when we listen to God's people who do things differently than we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you say a little bit more about what O antiphons are for those listeners who have no idea what you're talking about? Yeah. Absolutely. The O antiphons are an ancient, are they a poem technically? It's seven different images for the Messiah. And uh, I think traditionally in the seven days leading up to Christmas, you would read a different one each day or focus on a different one each day in your prayers. So um, actually, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a setting, that song is a setting of the O antiphons you know, you address God in different ways, and then you also address different different aspects of the Messiah. So the first one is, come now and teach us the way to salvation. The second is, come with an outstretched arm to save us. So you get, you get different ways of thinking about who Jesus is for us in the course of these seven poetic ideas, basically. So how does that fit in with the calendar? Is it there's seven days or seven? Because it's Advent's four weeks, right? Mm -hmm. So how does the seven fit in? Yeah, so they're traditionally used in daily prayer in the seven days before Christmas Eve. Oh, okay. Um, so, but in the Presbyterian tradition, we're not worshiping every day leading up to Christmas. Usually, like you might if you were... I don't know, in a more liturgical tradition, Episcopalians or Catholics or something like that. So what we're actually doing them with, with them at my church this year is we are having an Advent Vesper service um, in the middle of Advent. We're doing an evening service and we're going to read each one of them. And then we're going to accompany that with a song that, that matches it. And kind of rather than doing lessons and carol service, we're going to do an antiphons and carol service with choir as kind of extra devotional time. Great. I love that. So are there any other spiritual practices that you do personally? So that you shared a little bit about what you'll do in your community at your church. What about for yourself on a personal level? I'm really bad at waiting. And, <laughs> um, I, one of the things that Advent has come to mean to me in the last few years is a season of lament. Mm -hmm. And I know technically it's a season of preparation for the coming of Christ, 
But as we think about things like the O antiphons, we're asking God to come and save us. We're asking the Lord to set the prisoners free and things like that. And so when I was in seminary, my first year in seminary during Advent, there was, there were a lot of protests in Ferguson, Mm -hmm. um, Missouri, protesting the killing of Michael Brown. And then my second year, there was the, the, grand jury decided not to indict the police officer who killed Eric Garner in the middle of Advent. And so it took on this, Advent took on this quality of lament because realizing that there's so much in our world, so many injustices that need to be corrected and so many places where the world longs for peace and so many places where we need the love of Christ to come through. And I realized through the process of going to chapel every day during Advent in those seasons of turmoil in our country, that this longing for light, longing for Christ to come really matches up well, matched up well with everything that was going on in the world, Um, praying for Christ to come in the midst of these situations of violence and injustice. And so that has kind of framed my Advent practice really trying to stay in Advent, not skip ahead towards Christmas, you know, Mm -hmm. as we're planning worship and things like that, keeping us in the hymns of preparation and in the praying for Christ to come and not skipping ahead to the joyful songs that we sing on Christmas, but keeping us in the season of deep prayer for Christ to come. My own practices, I mean, I, I really let worship, these worship services now that I help plan to shape my practice in Advent. Um, I'm not very good about doing things at home or things like that. Um, <laughs> you know, in our in our church, we also light an Advent wreath. So you have four candles, one for each Sunday of Advent. And each Sunday to symbolize getting closer to the light, you light another candle, one candle the first Sunday, two candles the second Sunday, and and on like that so that in worship, there's a physical representation of getting closer to the light. And I know a lot of people at our church also have Advent wreaths at home. Our children's minister makes Advent wreaths with the kids okay. in Sunday school, and they take those home. And you're supposed to light them and, and do that practice together at home as well. Yeah, that's great. I love that you have so much um, of a focus on the communal practice of Advent and the communal observance. I think it, it's easy to not do stuff uh, to not prepare for Advent individually, but if you have that community around you that's also preparing and observing and celebrating Advent, it's easier to to stay focused and not skip ahead, as you were saying. Right. And, and right. earlier you talked about uh, like waiting is hard, and I think that's true, especially in our culture. Even my my son is in fifth grade, and they had their fall party this week, and they made Christmas ornaments for the fall party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he came home and he said, um, I don't understand why we're already celebrating Christmas. Anyway, uh, do you have any thoughts to share about how we might learn how to slow down and wait um, and enter into that spirit of waiting that Advent is really all about? That's where I think the communal practice, as you said, really helps to shape, you know, if, if, if together we're practicing that intentional waiting, that intentional period of prayer that really, I find that bleeds over into the rest of my, my devotional life too, helps me to slow down and wait and not skip ahead. Though I will say that last year I was, it was my first year in 
Austin and I was here by myself. My now Mm. husband was still in Philadelphia. He wasn't here yet. And so at home, the day after Thanksgiving, I had all my Christmas decorations up because I really wanted that joy in my house. And at at church, I was preaching, let's stay in Advent, let's continue waiting. (laughs) And at home, I was completely disregarding that. Yeah, I I just, it it is really difficult. And I, I don't know if I have a magic bullet practice for, for encouraging us to do that waiting. But if we're doing it together, if we're intentionally focused on that together, I think it does help. And last year I got invited by some friends from seminary to do an Instagram challenge for every day during Advent. Um, They created, they called it Adventure with Mary because one of the women women who helped to create it was Catholic. And so we're kind of journeying with Mary through Advent and each day there was a practice of, you know, you're supposed to take a picture and post it on Instagram, uh, different things about peace and love and joy. There was a, a different prompt every day. And I found that that really helped me to stay focused on Advent, having, you know, I was thinking about the word of the day and then I was looking for it wherever I was going mm-hmm. throughout the day. I get down on social media, but then when things like that you know, that practice, again, you're doing it in community. You're waiting to see what everybody else is going to post as well. And you're thinking about what you're going to post. That really actually helped me stay focused on the waiting of Advent. Mm, I like that. And I like that it, you're bringing, so you're bringing Advent to social media as well, making mm-hmm. it a place that's not as negative, right? And and you don't have to be Catholic to appreciate Mary and her journey. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Um, and that might be something, Do you, are you doing it again this year that there's like a hashtag that if somebody that's listening would like to be part of it? Yes. I, I'm not sure if they're doing it again. I'll find out for you and let you know. If so, okay. the hashtag was Adventure with Mary. Okay. Um, yeah, created by a group of women from my seminary. And I think they really enjoyed doing it last year. I hope they do it again this year. Great. Thank you. Finally, is there any particular song or scripture or poem or some other like set of words that are particularly meaningful to you related to Advent? Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about the O Antiphons and there are a couple of different versions of the O Antiphons in the Presbyterian hymnal. One is the very traditional O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, but there is a version in our new hymnal that's by Marty Haugen mm-hmm. and it's called for you, O Lord, my soul in stillness waits. And so he spreads out the antiphons with this very simple refrain that goes, For you, O Lord, my soul in stillness waits. Truly my hope is in you. So this kind of slow and actually my soul in stillness waits there's a fermata over that and so you're supposed to take as long as you want with that and when we would sing this in seminary each time we sang it we would wait longer on Mm. the waits um, to practice that waiting even in song Um, so I we we incorporated this in our worship at church last year we sang a verse of it every Sunday during Advent uh, and learned the refrain together so that um, we were all kind of practicing this waiting in song. Um, That's beautiful. And yeah. so you just sang one verse each week? We sang one verse each week, I think, and the refrain. Okay. 
Yeah, even like that, the idea of just doing one verse each week, you're sort of waiting for the next one, right? You're not Mm -hmm. even singing the whole song yet. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add about Advent that you think would be beneficial for our listeners? I would just say that Advent is my favorite liturgical season. And I'm sure 17-year-old me is rolling her eyes saying, you have a favorite liturgical season? (laughs) (laughs) But... um, I really do love Advent. I love this forcing us to slow down and pay attention, to look for God in the world, to see where Christ has already come and to call out those places where we're still waiting for Christ to come. I've just found that so meaningful in my own devotional life and so pertinent to where we are where it seems we've been as a country for the last few years. We're really, we've been really wrestling with questions about race and class and privilege. And so this, this season of the year where we slow down and we think about how God is active in the world and where we want God to be active in the world, it just feels like it perfectly brings together all the things I wrestle with on the bad part of social media where people are yelling at each other, Mm -hmm. um, because they disagree and because they're divided with the spiritual practice of hope, of waiting with hope. You know, the soul of lament is knowing that we know God is powerful and we know God could come in and influence the situation for the better. And we're waiting for God to do that. It feels like it really brings those things together for me in a way that's powerful and then makes Christmas all that much better because you've really dug in and put in the time to prepare yourself and to practice waiting. Thank you, Reverend Hensel, for sharing your love of Advent with us. Next, we welcome Sister Jocelyn Edithil, MD of Philadelphia. Welcome, Sister Jocelyn. Would you begin by sharing with us your educational background and how you ended up in your vocation? Sure. Um, So I was born and raised in Philadelphia. And I went to Villanova for undergrad, and I majored in um, chemistry with a focus in biochemistry as well as honors and a minor in Spanish. And then I felt the Lord called me to the medical profession. So I did a year of grad work at University of Pennsylvania, and then I went to Penn State for the MD-PhD dual program, where I did my research in antiviral drug design. Um, And during that process, um, I felt a call to become a sister, so I actually went to Temple for my internal medicine residency. And then afterwards, I went to India for three years to become a Catholic nun. And after that, I became, I took my my first vows or my first profession in August of 2016. And since then, I've been back here at Temple University Hospital, whereas I work in as, as an assistant professor of clinical medicine, I'm an academic hospitalist. I see patients on the inpatient side. Also work closely with the students, medical students, as well as the residents. Okay, great. That's a beautiful story. Um, Would you share a little bit too about your spiritual background, sort of growing up, what tradition you came from or traditions um, and how Advent was typically observed or celebrated in those traditions? I'm an Eastern Rite Catholic. And so the name of our Catholic church is the Cyril Malengra Catholic Church, one of uh, 23 small Eastern Rites. And so if you have a billion or 1.2 billion Catholics, Actually, we're less than 1% of that and divide by 23, so we're small. And um, But my uncle was a Catholic priest, and so he was actually our first um, 
parish priest here in Philadelphia in the 80s. And so I really um, loved our tradition. And so my brother is actually a priest now. He's been ordained for five years, and I've been professed now for two and a half years. In the Eastern Catholic tradition for Advent, we actually have 25 days of um, fasting. And so in the larger Catholic tradition, usually Advent is a time of hope and waiting, and it's very exciting. And so in the Eastern tradition in general, fasting is very serious, and, but it's also a great time of waiting for Christ's uh, birth. And so we have five fasts during the year. And so during our Christmas fast is actually instead of, I guess, the fourth um, Sunday, you know, four Sundays before we start December 1st and we end on December 25th and uh, June 24th. And so we fast from meat and fish and eggs, <laughs> but it's great because it's this exciting, expectant time. And so when I first heard about the meat, because we're in an American culture, I think we're very meat, much meat eaters. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's a little hard, but then Christmas tastes so good <laughs> when you can <laughs> and enjoy. And so the another couple of traditions we have in our convent um, is that we have some beautiful prayers um, during uh, Christmas and, and we have an additional prayer during that time. And even after Christmas is over, we, we sing some beautiful songs reflecting Christ's birth. Can you share more about, so many of our listeners might not come from traditions where fasting is a thing at all, right? Um, so could you share more about what that looks like? Are you fasting from meat every single day or just particular days of the week? And then can you share about how that impacts you on a spiritual level? The Eastern Catholic tradition I come from is from the Antiochian rite. And so in the initial church, actually the first Christians came from Antioch and the First century Christian traditions, we actually hold on to very closely, and India has been able to receive some of these traditions, and so that's the Sarah Malankar Catholic Church. And so uh, fasting, what we do is everyday fasting for meat, fish, eggs, and um, other things. So, so mostly the meat is the major one. And the idea is, um, you know, Christ says that we're supposed to be able to overcome even demons, right, in our lives mm -hmm. through fasting and prayer. And so it's a great technique in every spiritual tradition, even, you know, Christian, non-Christian traditions, understand that the idea of denying yourself really helps you in the spiritual realm. And so for me, in a very tangible, practical way, you know, I love meat. <laughs> so <laughs> when I say, okay, no cheesesteak today, um, I'm actually saying, Jesus, I love you more than cheesesteaks. So it's a great, very practical and tangible way of saying, Jesus, I love you. And so, for example, during our, our, you know, our big Lent or the Lent before Easter, sometimes I'll give up coffee. The idea that um, the fasting helps us to, to focus on the important things. So for me, giving up coffee is very, very hard. And so some other things that help us to try to feel that this is a time of preparation, because what is it? You know, we we live a beautiful life and then we go home to the Lord. And so, you know, whatever practice we can to participate in the sufferings of Christ um, and we get transformed into him. So it's a great little way for us to deny ourselves in small ways that so we can get closer to the spiritual life. So I feel stronger when I mm, Okay. <laughs> nice. And so then in connection with Advent, um, so in Lent, it's more, is it more connecting with the sufferings of Christ? Yes. The, the fasting then and, and for Advent is there a particular theme as your fasting that that you focus on or meditate on so in our liturgical tradition the readings of this particular time are called the it's called annunciations not just the annunciation to our lady but it's 
announcing annunciations to Zechariah, annunciations to St. Joseph, you know, so all the different times that the gospel is being announced, every time that the that the birth of Christ is being announced, it's definitely like that preparation as opposed to Lent that has a very serious, you know, I'm overcoming my own, my own inadequacies. Advent, which I love, is just this time of expectant waiting, which every tradition has that, you know, and, and in my tradition and, and the way that I approach Advent is just this exciting time. I get to see baby Jesus. Soon. So mm. it's a, it's a, you know, sometimes as a child, we have this exciting, you know, waiting for Christmas feel. And so the spiritual preparation before that, I always felt the more I put into the spiritual investment into that preparation then how much more glorious Christmas day is. Mm. So I've always enjoyed Advent. Great. Thank you so much for sharing about that. Um, and speaking about waiting, uh, our culture doesn't like waiting, right? It's very countercultural to consider having to wait for something. Can you share your thoughts on how we might learn to slow down and wait and enter into the spirit of waiting during Advent? Uh, sometimes we joke around in our in our youth group that we have a, a microwave spirituality and want it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then as we come closer to Thanksgiving, um, you know, we think about how much time and preparation it takes to have that meal, but how glorious it is afterwards. And so, so sometimes it takes a little bit more time and preparation for these things. The same way with, um, sometimes we say that we have a drive through spirituality. So I just want to get in, get my food, order it and have it. It's instant gratification is definitely what our culture is, is built on. And, and I personally also have that in many ways. I don't have a, I'm not very good at waiting in general, right? But patience is a virtue when it, it's a virtue because you have to practice it. And so I always joke around that it's a muscle. So mm-hmm. every muscle group you have to, in order to get patience, you have to kind of practice it. And so, um, so waiting is, um, you know, we have, unfortunately, the culture is this busy body waiting. And so it's filling time. It's making um, the Christmas preparations a very, a time of just uh, buying gifts and putting up the, the decorations and it's focus on the busyness of life. And with the spiritual waiting that, you know, I, I, I pray to have is the idea that I'm sitting with the Lord and I'm asking him to really just, um, you know, show me the things that I, I desire, you know, so sometimes in, in the academic world, we have, uh, we're, we're writing papers and we're, we're teaching. And so, you know, we have this goals that we have as well. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's good to sit with our goals for a little while and sit with our desires and sit with our values and just be able to kind of dissect, well, wh- how am I right now? It's a, ch- it's a personal check-in. So in, in the physician physician literature these days, the physician burnout is so high. And the reason is because, unfortunately, the medical field is, is very much full of filling our time with meetings and, and appointments and all these things that may not really give us life. And so Advent, just like other um, times of preparation, gives us a time to kind of sit with ourselves and to try to prioritize, again, what's important for do. Great. So then in in addition to fasting, are there any other spiritual practices that you do to observe Advent? Um, So, you know, there's a tradition that our convent actually practices that um, it's kind of like the, not the chocolate one, but there's like a calendar, an Advent calendar. And so (laughs) every day, and it was cute because during our first couple years of um, formation, especially during the visit, um, you would open up the calendar and they would give you like a little bit of a, a small virtue to practice that day. And so it can be something small, like uh, say, Hail Mary, say in our father, it can be something like, you know, do something good for someone today. It can be do something that, you know, 
makes you deny yourself. For example, even to to do a a small work um, of love and sacrifice. So for example, to clean up someone else's desk instead of cleaning your own, it's an act of love. It's very small, unseen acts of love um, that really prepares us to be a home for the infant Jesus in our hearts. So cute things that you can do for kids actually help us as well. So I, I try to do those things. <laughs> that's, that's a great idea. I think that could translate into all sorts of contexts, right? Like children are used to having the advent calendars where you open it and there's like a treat or a candy, or I've even heard of people wrapping up a different book each day for, which is kind of excessive. <laughs> if you have time for that, that's great. But um, I love the idea of opening it and there's some uh, something to practice or virtue to practice. So thank you for that. I wonder if many people will try that after hearing this. So um, finally, to conclude, is there a particular song or scripture or poem or other set of words that are especially meaningful to you that that relate to Advent? Um, I used to sing at um, one of the Catholic churches in, in central Pennsylvania. And uh, the first time I heard, Oh, Come Divine Messiah, that song just moved me so much because, you know, I love Christmas carols. I love so many different songs. Um, you know, Oh Holy Night is one of my favorites as well. But the but, but Oh Come Divine Messiah, it's a song that really reflects the waiting um, spirit of Israel. So in the first couple of chapters of Luke, when you're reading about the expectant faith of Israel, you know, so Zechariah has been waiting and in you know, Simeon and Anna are waiting. And so the idea that Jesus is coming and the Messiah is coming and he's going to be the one to fulfill the desires of human hearts, it's something beautiful. So the words of that, uh, oh, come divine Messiah. I don't know the rest of the words. <laughs> the <tune> is that. <laughs> but, you know, because all the words of that song have to, you know, talk about the idea that we are waiting for him. And so it's, it's a, the, the tune, that tone, it just really pulls my heart's strings. It's just like, oh, I'm waiting for you, Jesus. I thought you were going to sing for us and you were. I was going to. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> That's okay. You wouldn't have been the first though. Somebody else I interviewed sang and I, it totally caught me off guard in a good way. <laughs> oh, so, holy night. I can sing. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. That's enough. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sister Jocelyn Edithel, MD, for sharing your thoughts on Advent with us. Our next guest is Sarah Cowan Johnson, Executive Pastor at Sanctuary Church in Providence, Rhode Island. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. Would you begin by sharing a little bit about your educational background and what it is that led you to your current vocation? Yeah, so I did my undergrad at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, and um, I studied international relations. It was actually at... um, Urbana 2000 that I sensed God calling me into full-time vocational ministry. But I, at that point, I wasn't sure, you know, where that would be or what exactly that would look like. And I thought at one point, maybe I would go overseas. So that's part of the rationale for, you know, concentrating in IR was maybe Mm -hmm. I'd end up overseas, but also I just really liked um, history and political science and sociology. And I had this interest in sub-Saharan Africa and, international relations seemed like it captured all of that and um, seemed like it would be fun. But uh, by the end of my senior year, I 
felt like God was calling me to come on staff within a varsity in Rhode Island. So I did that. And I was on staff with IV for 13 years, five as a campus staff, and then eight as an area director in Rhode Island. And so at that point, I didn't pursue any kind of graduate studies um, until I left InterVarsity and stepped into my current role, which is I'm the executive pastor for Sanctuary Church in Providence, which is a, we call ourselves a family of neighborhood congregations. We are a seven-year-old church plant that has planted uh, another congregation that is two years old and is about to plant a third congregation. And so we're part of the covenant denomination And as part of the licensing process, when I got my ministry license, I began taking some seminary classes at North Park University, which I'll do probably on a like 10-year plan. So I'm beginning a church planting certificate, and then I'll kind of see where that goes from there. So that's a little bit about my education. Great. You shared where you are now um, as far as church, Uh, but can you share a little bit about your spiritual background and tradition or traditions that you came from? Yes. So I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and I'm actually a a PK. My dad was a priest. And um, the church that I grew up in was pretty unique. So um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term three-stream, but that's kind of how I would describe it. So uh, the church that I grew up in um, would have pretty proudly called themselves an evangelical church in the sense that they were passionate about witness and the Bible. And then, so that's one stream. And then um, they're also clearly sacramental and kind of a much higher church experience than, you know, my kind of current context. So that's the second stream. So evangelical, sacramental. And then there was actually this kind of charismatic streak in this church um, Mm -hmm. as well. So that would be the third stream. Um, And so you know, there was a healing ministry, there's an emphasis on the prophetic, people speaking in tongues. Um, My dad would come home from work and, you know, have stories about demonic deliverance. So this is a pretty unique Episcopal church that is, considers itself evangelical, clearly is sacramental, but also has this charismatic streak. And so for me, in kind of my formation, you know, as a child and as a Christian, all three of those streams and those traditions have kind of informed and shaped me, I would say. Um, and I, I would say that I feel like I've kind of maybe <laughs> retained the best um, from each of those streams and I've kind of spit out the bones. Um, mm. I probably wouldn't apply any of those particular labels by themselves to to me. Um, but I do feel like I have an appreciation for each of those traditions. And um, that's actually kind of similar to the the posture of the church where I'm currently serving. Um, we talk about that, that we sort of have an appreciation for each of those streams and emphasis on witness in the Bible, respect and appreciation for sacraments and tradition, and also um, kind of an emphasis on the spirit. That's really unique. Um, definitely not your average. Not your church. typical, <laughs> typical <laughs> Episcopal church experience, I don't think so. So then how was Advent typically observed in that in, in your childhood growing up? Yeah, yeah. so definitely um, my personal understanding and traditions and practices around Advent um, were very much shaped by the sacramental stream. So by kind of Episcopal or Anglican um, tradition or even Catholic tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on my staff team now, I'm sort of 
kind of seen as like the high church person. Um, and I've kind of noticed as I've like come into this new context, um, which has, you know, a lower sacramental influence. I've come in with this very set idea of what Advent is, how you practice it, um, how it should be celebrated. I almost have this like rigidity in a way about what it is, which is actually just kind of true to my personality when I have a strong opinion about something. But I've noticed that I kind of, I bring this, you know, traditional perspective into a context currently that is much more fluid in its practices. So I, I would say like our current church, you know, we have kind of a deep appreciation for the purpose of Advent and the themes of waiting expectation and longing, but much more flexibility in terms of how that's practiced um, or like what's preached on during Advent that can be flexible and kind of what we do as a church community. So we might do something one year, but not say this is our practice forever and ever, you know, amen. But so in my childhood, it was very much, we did the same things every single year. And this is how you celebrate Advent, these things are unchanging. So I would say, yeah, in, you know, growing up in in the church that I grew up in, um, the sermons are based on the lectionary. So we are preaching from Advent texts. We're often preaching about the second coming, which I think is not always as present of a theme in um, churches that are less influenced by that stream. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would say the one practice that I have retained from my childhood that's been kind of constant my entire life um, and I've actually introduced into my new church context is the use of an advent wreath. That's okay. my one thing that is unchanging. So I don't know if I should describe. Should I describe um, what that is? Yeah. I'm not sure everyone that will listen will be familiar with it. Maybe you could describe a little bit about it and then why that is particularly meaningful. Why, why is that the one thing that you've held on to? So an Advent wreath, I think that often people uh, or churches have done this with children or families. And I did that as a child, but also continued to use it as an adult. And now I do it with my children, but it's four candles. And then sometimes a fifth is added for Christmas day. But basically you're lighting one candle during week one of Advent, two candles during week two, three candles during week three and so on. And so um, you're doing this daily. I do it at dinner time. Um, and basically the lighting of the candles is a way to kind of mark the time as we wait. And with each candle, we're sort of seeing the darkness dispelled a little bit more as we are coming nearer to Christ's advent. And then there's all this other symbolism in the advent wreath. So it's, it's the design is a circle, which symbolizes, you know, God's complete, eternal, unending love. There's an evergreen garland that reminds us of the promise of new life. And then the colors of the candles, traditionally three of the candles are purple, which is a liturgical color um, associated with penance. And so like, as we're, we're waiting, we're reflecting on our need for a Messiah. We're reflecting on the darkness that needs to be illuminated with the light of Christ. So there's this kind of penitent attitude. And then one of the candles is pink, which we take a break from the sort of penitent um, attitude. And we, uh, that symbolizes joy that we're rejoicing that our wait is almost over that Christ mm-hmm. is coming. But anyway, I did that as a child and we would light the Advent wreath every night at dinner. And then I did it as an adult. And then uh, last year at sanctuary, 
I wanted to introduce this practice again to this church that has a much more like flexible, you know, way of celebrating Advent. And, um, I started with families. So we, the kids made the Avermates and then I wrote a devotional that is, um, designed to be used for families. So it's not, it's not for kids, it's for families. So it's written with kids in mind, but it's, uh, so this, this devotional, um, takes, you know, five minutes to do when you're lighting the the wreath. And for me, this practice was so meaningful, adding that just to the lighting of the the Advent wreath. And you did that on a daily basis, not just weekly, right? Yes. Every night at dinner time. So at the beginning of the little devotional, there's a little call and response that even like a non-reading child can memorize pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So I would say even any verbal child. So the adult says, Lord, you are the light of the world. And then the children respond, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And that's something, you know, my four-year-old last year would love to say, like he memorized that and would do that. And then there's um, a little scripture. So I, I kept it to one verse every day, which was kind of difficult to pare down. You know, I'm yeah. picking traditional Advent readings, uh, both about sort of messianic prophecies about Jesus, but also texts about the second coming because in Advent mm-hmm. we're waiting, we're remembering the wait for Jesus, but we're also remembering that we're still waiting, but to pare those down into one verse per day. And then, um, a liturgical prayer that rotated or changed out weekly that it closes with. So anyway, that, that little practice, there's something for me about the light, there's a way that the light kind of grabs our attention. It kind of brings us in. It centers us on the presence of Jesus. The kids are sort of drawn to that. There's a moment of, I don't know, it just kind of creates a sacred moment. And then this practice of crying out verbally, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and then reflecting on a text, praying a prayer together. So that's mm. been that's been the best practice for me um, and something that kind of added to something that I did as a child, which was just to light the wreath and, you know, pray at dinner time, but to actually add this intentional reflection in. Yeah, I appreciate that adding the reflections and the reading. So even not just children understand why, but adults too, right? Because there can be so much in in the liturgical tradition. And I'm coming from a liturgical tradition right now in my life. And, you know, many people don't necessarily know why we're lighting the Advent wreath. And uh, so having that, that reading with it each time makes it more meaningful for sure. So you mentioned earlier about waiting, which is obviously what Advent is about, um, but also it's very countercultural, right? Can you share your thoughts on how we might learn to slow down and wait? Yeah. So, um, when I was a kid, my parents were actually very adamant that we did not play Christmas music in our home until Christmas Day. And um, the one exception was when we had the church open house, Christmas open house at our house, you know, and we would do a Christmas party. Basically, we were allowed to put on. I remember there was this one instrumental Christmas music album that was allowed <laughs> on that one day. But otherwise, we did not listen to Christmas music until Christmas Day. And, you know, as a child, I thought that was kind of um, over the top. But I actually (laughs) 
appreciate it. I appreciate the sentiment behind that now because I do think there is value in remembering Israel's long wait for a Messiah mm-hmm. and that, you know, sort of simple practice of just withholding our celebration and leaning into the longing. Mm-hmm. And again, not just preparing for Christmas or longing for December 25th, but really identifying with the wait for Jesus. So in my house, we do listen to a little bit of Christmas music, but I still don't feel comfortable. You know, I like the Rudolph and the Jingle Bells and stuff don't make their way into my home <laughs> until it is Christmas season. But um, I think in a, in a deeper level for me, when I think about waiting in Advent, honestly, I think I, every year, feel like Advent is an invitation to me to, uh, to groan. So mm. I think of, you know, so Romans 8, all of creation, groaning in childbirth. And I think particularly in December's when I've been in seasons of grief or suffering or lament or just a heightened awareness of the brokenness of the world, those have been some of the most poignant Advents for me. So just mm. to be vulnerable or honest. Um, you know, this year I have been walking with my mom as she's facing a terminal illness and I'm looking forward to Advent because it, in a way that it reminds, just, it reminds me every year we're still waiting Mm. for Jesus. So any place that I'm experiencing the groan of the things that are not right yet, um, Advent, Advent for me is an invitation to to long for that, to hope for that, to wait for that, um, to kind of feel that longing and lean into the discontent and then to lean into the hope, you know, that death is not the end, sickness is not the end, um, injustice is not the end because we're actually still waiting. I think, so for me in the kind of Christmas season, Advent hasn't always like taken that, the chaos factor out of the season for me. It's not, it hasn't, Honestly, just it hasn't really helped me with that, but it has helped me to take the places where I feel like, oh, the world is not right, and remember that I'm we're, we're still waiting, and we actually need to long for Jesus to return. You know, we need to long for that. That is something that that I think Advent invites me to do. So when I think about waiting, that's kind of where I where I go. Yeah. So you use the phrase, um, leaning into longing, leaning into discontent. What does that look like? Is that a spiritual practice? Is that more of a, can you say more? Sure. I think a lot of times for me, when I'm in a season of feeling the ache of the world, feeling the sorrow of all the things that are painful and wrong, that I can exist in that place of emotion and feeling that weight. And there's something about Advent for me that reminds me that it's not that these things are not real. (laughs) These things are real. Mm -hmm. This pain is real, but that my anchor is behind the veil and with Jesus who is sitting on the throne and is going to return. And that is a sure thing. And so when I kind of tug on that, Advent helps me like tug on that anchor line, like, oh yeah, this is, uh, history is like moving forward to this point where all things are going to be 
made new. And so practice wise, I think it's, it's that utterance of, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, come Lord Jesus. It's this reminder to me that I am still waiting, that we, we live in the already not yet, that the kingdom has begun to come and has been inaugurated in Jesus, but it is not um, fully, it is still coming and will be fully realized. So yeah, even just that little utterance at dinner time with my children reorients my mind to say these things that feel heavy. I'm actually not just carrying them eternally forever. I am walking forward and waiting. Finally, is there any other particular song, scripture, or poem, or other set of words that are especially meaningful to you related to Advent? Yeah, so there is a collect from the Church of England's Common Worship. It's actually a Christmas Eve collect, but I feel like it articulates everything that I love about the season of Advent. Um, so I can read that. Yeah, um, please. Great. It's uh, Eternal God. In the stillness of this night, you sent your almighty word to pierce the world's darkness with the light of salvation. As Mary waited and labored for the birth of your son, so we wait for his coming in glory. Bring us through the birth pangs of this present age to see our great salvation. Give to the earth the peace that we long for and fill our hearts with the joy of heaven through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special Advent episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at thewell.introversity.org. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, we invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well. You can find us at thewell.introversity.org.